25 years and my life is still Trying to get up that great big hill of hope Hi, this is Rosalind Darby again at Local Architecture Now here at Coast Access. My first interview of the year is with Manakshi Shankar um, and we're starting with something sort of rather more personal this time to start the year off and it's going to be my experience of a gripping analysis by Manakshi a few weekends ago about her temerity about consulting the design of her kitchen having never done it before. So I originally met... Hi, Manakshi. Hi, Roslyn. I met Manakshi and her husband, Shankar, back in the late 90s when we were all volunteering at UNICEF. And well, I'm not sure if Manakshi may have been consulting to UNICEF, but Shankar and I were volunteering. And a, um, what a wonderful couple you are. And I was just so interested as an architectural practitioner in hearing your your story about your kitchen design. So I thought, well, where? And you're happy to speak about it, among other things. So, hi. Hi, Rosalind. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Um, so for me, um, I remember going to your first home, your one and only home in New Zealand when you had just bought it in Avalon, mm. and you had a um, card there from your colleagues from work, and it said, welcome to the New Zealand dream. And I, I just always remember that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, welcome to the American dream, but here we go. Yeah. And and how many years later, is it 20, 30, 20 years later, I'm in your kitchen and it's had a redo. So mm-hmm. your, your cons- it was interesting because I'd been shivering my shoes myself about not knowing how to ask, not being very confident about t- not knowing what I didn't know around um, developing a marketing plan and, a fi- and all that sort of stuff and social media. And I was speaking to you and... And you were able to analyse the process very well with your kitchen, how you'd, you knew what you didn't know and you, and you ha- went through a whole year. So would you like to sort of, I've got some lovely notes here from you and so I'd be very interested to see how you take it. Um, thanks, Rosalind. Um, and I think it was really uh, wonderful to be able to share my experiences and my process with you because you seem to sort of just really understand it and you didn't, you know, uh, frown upon it or balk on it and says, how come you didn't know this? You seem to <laughs> completely understand it. And I think that made me feel really confident about, you know, bearing all, shall I say. Yes. Um, and I think, I think I'd really like to sort of go back to the time that when we bought the house, and you're absolutely right, we did get that card, and it was a New Zealand dream. Um, and at that time that we bought this house in Avalon, it was, uh, the kitchen was brand new, and it had just been done. Can, and I, can I just add that y- yourself and Manakshi had like been in New Zealand about a year at that point. You'd, you'd immigrated from New Zealand. From yes, we had, we had immigrated from India in 1998, and then we bought this house in 2001, um, which, of course, is impossible now in three years to buy a house. But at that time, it was still possible. And, um, and uh, yeah, and we bought it, and um, and even the whole process of buying it, I think it sort of signals a kind of my personality type, which is that I just go entirely with instinct, you know. And so I I saw this house in the on the market, came in, and I just instinctively felt right, and I felt that I could imagine living in this house. And so we put in an offer, we bought it. It had a brand new kitchen at that time. But when we bought the house, I mean, we'd been in the country three years. We had limited networks. 
And we had no idea about what it is that we should be looking for um, and um, and whether it was a good kitchen or not. You know, we knew none of that. I just bought it. I loved the kitchen. It was brand new. And I just learned to live with it. And I loved it and it served me well. But whenever we had visitors coming home or for a meal or something, invariably they would make a comment about the kitchen and say, oh, there's a lot of wastage of space because it had corners. Or the fact that the cooking stove was at a very funny kind of angle. And um, and people would make these kind of observations. But I never really took it very seriously because for me, you know, it was my kitchen. It worked for me. And I loved cooking in it. But then, um, and also the other really interesting thing is that in the Indian, you know, feng shui, you know, we've got the whole Vasu tradition, which is like the feng shui um, where you sort of look at the aura of the house and the direction in which various rooms face. Everybody, my Indian friends who came, commented on the fact that my kitchen was absolutely perfect from a Vastu sense, which mm-hmm. is that the cooking stuff faced east, which is supposed to be the best thing. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's good is because it sort of signals a, a house where there is a lot of socializing, hospitality, a lot of connecting over food which actually is my life, right? So mm. um, so that sort of gave me a bit of confidence that I don't really care about these things that are not working in the house, but it has the right aura. But then when things started falling apart in the house, <laughs> you know, like my oven stopped working and my cooking stuff started giving me problems, um, I realized that it was time, you know. It had been 20 years almost. And I... Um, and I delayed it by a couple of years and lockdown helped in the sense that it pushed the decision out another year. But I knew then by August of 2020 that I needed to do something about it. And that started my kitchen renovation project. Mm. Yes. And and you said that, first of all, this is a complete take from me. It may not be in any way in the right sort of context, but... I kind of love that you said, I just adapt, and I feel that too. I mean, in my experience, whenever I look at an open home, people are walking, in there and they, the first thing they do within three months is just do the ch- kitchen and bathroom completely, regardless, yes. you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, but to me, it was like yourself and Shankar, you had, you had really good work to do. You had socially, uh, socially important work to do, and that was where your energies went to, and, you know, people's lives and policy yeah. and all that sort of thing. And it was really lovely and charming, you know, that yeah. your house works for you. You adapted to it. You didn't have to come in and do the big brand, you know, makeover. Yeah, and when we did, I mean, we did do the um, the bathrooms about, say, five years ago. But because of my, my fundamental um, anxiety about any kind of renovations, I, moved, I went to India for three months while the bathroom got done here. <laughs> You know, once I decided with the guy what it is that I wanted with the bathroom uh, people, I discussed everything with them. And after that, I was gone because I couldn't physically actually stay in the house and look at it every day and um, and make decisions every day. And it's just not my cup of tea. I'm not, I haven't been brought up with it. I haven't, it's not something I've seen other people do. You know, in India, it very rarely happens. So for me, it was an unknown territory. And so I just completely shut it out from my mind. But then when it came to the kitchen, because the kitchen is my space and it is so integral to my sense of being that I couldn't 
not be involved. And Shankar basically left it to me entirely and said, it's your space, do exactly what it is that you want. But I didn't know where to even start. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so finally, I think, um, you know, while I was going through this ups and downs and this emotional rollercoaster ride, um, I, uh, a friend of mine who has gone through many, many such renovations and repair work and everything, sat me down, and she's an artist as well, and she sat me down and she talked me through about my anxiety and said, let's just look at what is it that's making you anxious, and then let's deal with it one by one. And, um, and I... I think the fundamental thing is that I didn't really know anything about the start and the end or what the process is or should be like. And then the other aspect of it is that I don't, I'm not a visual person, so I couldn't quite visualize how I would want to change it. Mm. So um, I was embarrassed about the fact that I would not be able to have a coherent conversation with a consultant who would come in and throw all these words at me and I wouldn't really understand it or relate to it and be very awkward around it. Yeah. It's so, so interesting uh, because in your working life and in your sort of social life, yeah, y- you're the one that is doing the consulting so confidently. So, you know, it's really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think that, um, I think there was a lot of embarrassment, like, you know, little things like, you know, and these are all things that you really pick up, right? When you talk about it and I said, oh, I want that cupboard where I can put, you know, my mop and my vacuum cleaner. And then somebody turned on and said, oh, you mean a utility cupboard? I had no idea it was called a utility cupboard. I mean, it's just a place that... So even like, even these little things, which everybody else takes for granted, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you've got Uh, phrases here like you... You just panicked. You realized yeah. that you were panicking and, and you didn't, and that various friends were giving you advice but didn't reassure yes. you. And then you managed to know that this time the, the design advice was, was going to work for you. Yes. And so when, um, so when I, so my friend who helped me, uh, she said, the first thing you need to do is just invite a couple of kitchen people, uh, consultants, to come in and have a look and have a chat with them. And then she said to me, because she could see the anxiety on my face, and she said to me, I'll be here with you when they come. So I invited three different uh, Christian people, and they came, and they um, talked to me a little bit, and my friend was here with me. And after they left, she then sat me down and took me through what it is that she was suggesting, which didn't make sense to me at that time. And I think part of it is also that because, you know, the kitchen people, they're just immersed in this. So they just throw words around, you know. Mm. And um, so, for example, I said to her that I wanted a kind of light in the kitchen, which I could turn on turn on at night, but it wasn't a ceiling light. And she said, oh, you mean strip lighting? I mean, I had no idea it was called strip lighting. So I felt really, really awkward. And I'm sorry if I'm coming across a bit of a naive, you know, idiot. But that's the level. I think you understand the level at which I'm coming from. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And um, and so the the kitchen lady um, said to me, she was asking me all these questions about, so tell me a little bit about where did I want my cutlery drawer or um, whether I, what's the way in which I work and do I cut vegetables here and then turn here to wash the thing and which way do I want the fridge door to open and 
And I just found that incredibly stressful because for me, you give me a kitchen and I'll work around it. Mm. I'll make it work for me. That's just my temperament, you mm. know. And so um, I just looked at her and I said, well, you tell me, you're the specialist here. You tell me, how would you use this space? And I would then draw on or build on your knowledge and experience and see if it works for me. But that's not, they don't see that as their role. You know, they are there to ask you what you want and then they'll design something for you. But I was sort of flipping it and saying, well, you're the expert here. Yeah. And um, and so she did actually, you know, I mean, to her credit, she came to the party. Gave is, this, me some is, ideas. This, is this the kitchen designer or your friend? Yeah, the kitchen designer. Yeah. She drew up. And so my friend said, let her just draw something up for you. Then you actually have a visual image um, of what it is and then we can play with it. Yeah. So then I received the drawings and then I sat with my friend and then she talked me through every bit of it. And that's when it started to take shape in my mind. And I started to realize that, okay, so this is what it's going to look like. And, um, and I felt a little bit better with every step of the way. But, um, and then it came to deciding what materials I wanted and what kind of handles I wanted. And you said you didn't you didn't you felt that you didn't know anything about colours. That it was no, going I to be scary looking take <laughs> and I mean I think of you, Shankar, I think of the you know the beautiful saris and the colourful kind of character. So yeah. you know it's just it just depends on I mean also I guess it's another cultural thing. I mean yeah. um, brand new kitchens aren't necessarily a priority in, in the bulk of many people's houses in India. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because, you know, you you usually, it's an apartment and you walk in, or in my situation, the house that I uh, call home in India, in Chennai, is um, my husband's mum's house, which they built in 1972, so, you know, I just walked into that house and that's it, you yeah. know, I've done nothing to it, and I think I must have changed the bathroom or whatever, but again, you know, those are, so you just learn to live within the yeah. Trends or the limitations or the environment that's presented. And you enjoy the good things. You really focus on the good things. Or, yes, or exactly. enjoy the space for what it does in terms of be a home for you and make the most of that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people, for example, if you have an open plan kitchen, then the kitchen becomes part of the social space. Whereas for me, the kitchen is where you cook the meal and then you take it out. And so the living and the, so for me, that was really important is I didn't want an open plan kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to keep the areas quite distinct and different. And, um, yeah, and so um went to the showroom and my friend accompanied me um, and uh, we sat down there. And, and then when the kitchen consultant lady showed me everything physically, you know, like when she talked about those, I don't know, soft touch drawers or something, she actually showed me what it looks like or what would, what kind of sink did I want. And even that, you know, it was interesting. When I went around the showroom and I saw what was on display, I just said, yeah, I like this, I don't like that, I want that. And I didn't necessarily look at brochures and, you know, mm. all the hundred different configurations. Mm. And uh, and the same thing with the handles, you know. My friend helped me narrow it down to six, and then I just picked one of that. And because um, you were saying that there was a whole array of handles and, oh you, and it was God, just overwhelming. Was and, then, and she said, just like, get rid of all the ones you don't like. Didn't, is yes. that what she said? Yes, exactly. She said, uh, just look at it and say which ones you don't like. And I immediately pointed out 
all the ones that had gold and copper and whatever color trimmings. I went for all the chrome, mm. um, you know, and so she said, okay. So now she says, do you like the curves or do you like the straight lines? And I said, I like the straight lines. And then she just narrowed down my options to six. And she said, look at it and see which one appeals to you. And then I used it and I felt it. And she said, yep, that's it. So I think having somebody walk alongside me on this journey who is a friend, not the consultant, because then I don't feel that exposed. Mm. And uh, and then having that support wrapped around me actually helped me through this incredibly stressful, um, but at the same time, incredible journey, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just seems amazing, you know, to, to hear, you know, that it is, I mean, I think any sort of work in, the, in personal design is stressful. Um, but you're sort of handling quite high stress all the time, have been for decades in, in, your, yeah. in your work. And this very personal thing, it was hard yeah. to accept that there was some area where you just didn't have an ability to draw parameters around it. Yeah, and, you know, I keep thinking about it. And while I sort of rule over the fact that why do I get anxious about something so, so small, but for somebody else, like I can go and do a presentation at a global conference with no problems at all. But for some other people, that would freak them out. So I realized that actually I shouldn't put myself down for yeah. feeling anxious about something. Wonderful. I yeah, I just realized that, I, you know, how I'm feeling, I think I felt like I needed to validate it and say it's valid, it's real. And then I sort of thought about how can I put the support systems around it to enable me to cope with that anxiety. That's amazing. And I, yeah, and I think what worked for me on reflection is Knowing what I don't know, so that was the first step. The second was acknowledging and accepting that not knowing was what was making me feel anxious. Yeah. And so then I sort of said, okay, what do I need to do here? So I surrounded myself with people that I trusted. Yeah. I trusted those around me to guide me. And I just gratefully accepted their advice and support. And I think it's this approach that actually um, I to help me in the end to come through without falling apart. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and the one other really big lesson for me was learning that if I suddenly thought of something, so for example, I realized that on the, you know, the bit between the kitchen and the dining room door side, um, I had asked for, um, I had asked for a cupboard there because it's a corner, and I asked for a cupboard that opens on the other side. And she had asked me at that time, that, do you actually want drawers or do you want cupboard? And I sort of said, oh, no, cupboards is fine. I don't. I can always bend down and pull things out and so on. I'll just explain to, to the listeners. When yes. you have in the internal kitchen, you have like a corner of a kitchen bench. Um, so you've got a peninsula coming out, and you have a sort of corner thing in the, in the, at that point. Around the other side, you've got this yes. extra space, and so yes. you knew you had space, and it was adjacent to the dining, so you knew there That's was a purpose right. for that that space. Yes, and I thought at that time, originally, that I'd have just a cupboard there, because, you know, drawers are more expensive, and I just said to the lady, I'll have cupboard there, and she said, that's fine, um, but they are deep cupboards, and I said, that's absolutely fine, I can always bend down and pull stuff out and so on. But then when the kitchen was taking shape, I realized actually that I should have had drawers there because then I can access the back of the drawer and the, or the shelf more easily. Mm. And, um, and then I, I spent hours 
mulling over whether or not I should ask the kitchen consultant to turn them into drawers and just telling myself that it was too late and um, I should have made this decision earlier and then feeling terrible about the fact that I didn't know it and yeah. why was I being so silly. But then my friend said to me, the least you can do is ask her. And she said, pick up the phone and talk to her and ask her if she can turn them into drawers now. And if she says yes, you're in a very good position. But if she says no, you know that you've asked. And I think that that was such good advice because I did ask her and she did say yes. And in the end, I ended up getting these lovely drawers, which really improved my life hugely. Mm. I know the drawers. I was standing beside them. and You uh, were standing beside them. That's right. And they're great. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought to myself that, you know, and I would have been, if she had said no, I would have been prepared to accept it because because I would have said, well, that's just the, the you know, um, that's just the price I pay for not having understood the process or whatever else. But that's okay. But by asking her, I think I minimized my own anxiety um, from those intrusive thoughts that come into your head, you know, mm. where you say, what if, what if, what if. Mm. But I just thought, let me just deal with it and put it away. And in the end, I did ask, I got it, and it was all fine. So yeah. I think it's those kinds of things. Yeah. Mm. And that thing of um, learning, the, the really, really, really great thing about sort of collaborating or, or working in design with others and how you come out of that. Yes. Um, that people can help you. I mean, I think I think we so you know we sort of so much want to do it ourselves, and we feel we can't. We're not, you know, we don't know how to have other. You know, we might not be good mm. enough in their eyes or something. Mm. But when you do start to have people help you, and you work and say three or four people, um, mm. that's when it's it's a really gr- it's a really good uh, personal growth experience. I think absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. And also normally. You know, my friends who have gone through similar processes have got a, you know, have got, they've grown up with those kinds of experiences or they've got family members who can give them some advice and guidance. But, you know, we don't have any family here. So the only people we can rely on are our professional and social networks that we have developed. And people often, I mean, uh, you know, hesitate, you know, but I realize that actually everybody is really keen if you just give them that um, opportunity, or give them that, give them permission to be able to guide you. It's, then it, it's really helpful. It's so uh, prescient because I'm I'm going through. It's just really helped me because I'm going through exactly the same. I've got a website designer who's remote, you know, and I'm just I'm so scared of being a, a bad client because you know I know what <laughs> I'm so mm. scared of, of being an annoying client you know just lose interest in me you know he's doing the design yeah. but I want this and la 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 and um yeah I've just I've been through that process and that yeah and knowing that he's there to help you know and yes. and that I can ask certain things but yeah it's a, it's it's kind of the weird thing is the fact that you validated that uneasy feeling and, and you started from that point of actually feeling it and then mm. allowing it and then saying it's okay and it doesn't, yeah, it's, and yeah, it's, it's a way, means of growth, I think. Yes, and also the same thing applies, like we had a builder come and do the prep work before the kitchen consultants could come in and install the kitchen. And um, the builder arrived and I talked to him and the first thing I said to the builder was that I absolutely know nothing about 
any of this. So when you ask me for should I do this or should I do that, I'm not going. I'm going to look at you blankly because I have no idea, and you're going to have to just explain it to me so that I understand it. And he was so good, and I think that in my professional life. Uh, people rely on my professional judgment and expertise, and so I decided that what I was going to do was trust the professional judgment and expertise of the people I had employed to do the work. Yeah. And um, and I really, um, I I really benefited from it because I didn't look at them as mere suppliers, you know, and yeah. and people that I had paid to get stuff done. I actually saw them as an extension of my support network and trusted them and i think they responded and rose to the occasion yeah 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 and and yeah. and and people who do build work they ultimately want they're in somebody's home and they really want their their work in that home to they want the client to really benefit completely from the whole process even yes. though there are struggles and tre- and stresses yeah they're not just doing yeah. it as i mean they're doing it because they can see that it's enhancing and changing your your space and also they have more ownership of the work as well so for example when the kitchen people came and installed it and you know um, went away one night uh, the builder said to us that he was not happy about certain things that they had done and so he said the next time they come around uh, I'm going to come along for the meeting and he did and he then took the build, uh, the kitchen people around and said, this is not okay, that's not okay. And we had actually not even, we had seen it, but it never occurred to us that that was not appropriate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it was really helpful to have uh, the builder take so much ownership of the client and mm-hmm. of our needs. And we felt that we could, um, you know, we felt more confident that our needs were going to be well served. Yes, Yes. And um, that was really, really amazing. And I think, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine asked me the other day, you know, like, so how's the new kitchen and how are you, now that you're using it, how do you feel about it? And my immediate reaction was, you know, I'm apt, you know, she asked me, would you do something differently? And I'm like, no. But then I realized also that I probably have just got used to it. So I don't see, I have no... I have no room for regrets in my life, you know. So yeah. I just, you know, what was there, I, I, I know I participated in the process and I yeah. co-designed it. Yeah. And I have as much ownership. And so if there are any problems or whatever else, I just absorb it and say, um, that's great. And I just move on, you know. So mm. I've, I'm, I'm really happy. And you saw me um, yeah. work in that kitchen. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, um, and that's what I, I like in my building projects is that the, the contract in itself is part of the designers. It's part of mm-hmm. the, the owner moving from having an existing to a new. And if that yes. contract process is also very much part of the experience, it's not just you know purchasing a design off paper. It's 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 moving on from that from that you will you'll move on from the old experience and other things come in. But you know that mm-hmm. that's been a sort of leverage process. Mm. And um, and when I was there, you know, looking at all the parts that all moved and opened, and and the colour combos, and and it was all quite subtle in lots of ways, but but I just felt it felt like a, a little article of industrial design because each mm. thing had been considered, and and the, mm. and the components which you know the kitchen company provided, they're all highly designed and functional. So mm. really, it was like considering what industrial design is. Mm. Mm. 
and then you had the greys and the grey on grey and the, and the backsplash and yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. So there's little textures of grey, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, um, we had a cup of tea. Yes. And then you... Um, and then you and then you hit me with the fact of what did I think of your pelmets? Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good, uh, you know, evolution of the conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think we had just um, we've been playing with the idea of you know um, what do you call it? I think um, uh, insulating the walls of the house, of the living and the dining area, because the roof is the ceiling is done and the underfloor is done. But I think that the site hadn't been done and we thought it might be something that we'd like to do and so that then gave rise to this whole question of pelmets or no pelmets because uh, you've got pelmets currently with a kind of decorative kind of 60s kind of scotia um, which is the yes. scotia is the trim between the wall and the ceiling so yeah. it's kind of decorative in a certain sort of 60s kind of way yeah and it is a 60s house and so um, yeah and so we don't like Dislike the, I mean, we dislike those pelmets heavily, you know. Mm. But every time, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to throw into a dinner conversation and ask people <laughs> about what do they think about pelmets. And I didn't realize that there are those that love it, and then there are those that hate it, like me. But the people, one, uh, one friend in particular, was absolutely insistent that we should keep the pelmets because he said something about how it retains heat or something. It's it's a, it's a factor in some eco design advisors' uh, toolbox yeah. that that um, the pelmets, particularly if you've only got single uh, glazing, perhaps, or you know mm. your house hasn't had upgrade to double glazing, but even with double glazing, the, if the heat, if the cold air can come in, those you've got to have like a a, a floor to ceiling uh, cover of curtain fabric to keep the cold air from coming into the room, just keeping it in that airspace between the glazing and the curtain. Mm -hmm. And if it goes up, it hits, it, it doesn't, it can't come over the top of the curtain rail. It's, oh, it's encased by the pelmet. It, it can't sort of, the slipstream can't go over, over the, yeah, that's why they mm -hmm. like them because it encases all that cold air completely within that space. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of, I've never really understood them as, I mean, they were once a thing of sort of decor, but now they're obviously like your friend, the passive house, toolkit is mm. that they're part of that package yeah but they're incredibly difficult to change curtains you know to get in and out of them and so for me it was just a pragmatic thing and and we have double glazed windows and so and it never really gets that cold in wellington i mean no. you know we're not talking about you know like temperatures minus one or whatever so for me the point is that it doesn't really serve that purpose anymore and i was very happy to get rid of it and so that's very interesting. So I was sort of thinking about what is it that I don't, what is it that I don't like. And after this process life. of the kitchen, you'd sort of gained a little bit more experience confidence. and confidence in in, yes. in, in, in actually that you you do know kind of what you like, having gone yes. and done those selections at the kitchen showroom and things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm actually almost looking forward to going and deciding what color I want to paint the walls. And um, you know, so for me, I didn't want the pelmets. You know, we had an old fireplace kind of thing with a very uh, odd decorative um, mantelpiece mm -hmm. and then a little, some niches in the walls. Um, and I just don't like them. So I'm just going to go for really clean, straight lines. I'm going to get rid of that scotia or whatever it's called. 
And I I want to improve lighting because, you know, as you get older, you realize that lighting is a really important aspect. So I want to go for, right now we've got predominantly wall lights and I just thought we'll go for ceiling lights. And um, that way the wall space gets cleared for chunkers paintings and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's interesting moving, having, you know, been in the house for 20 years or so and now actually recognizing that you know you don't particularly like unnecessary decoration. You've got yes. a sense of design. You actually always had a sense of design, but you hadn't had a chance to exercise it. That's right. That's right. Yes. And um, and so we discussed this whole idea because, you know, I've got quite a lot of, um, at least a small number of really uh, beautiful pieces um, of either, uh, you, know, of God, you know, images of God and goddesses or a beautiful lamp and you these know, are, these all are all Hindu up. little goddesses, that figure. Yeah, yeah, I've got, you know, like uh, Ganesha, who is one of um, our, um, in, an important god in our pantheon. I've got a beautiful um, uh, sculpture, shall I say, of him. I've got a beautiful brass lamp, which is about, what, about at least um, one feet, I'd say, or maybe even higher. Uh, you know, and it's just stunning. And I just wanted... So I thought I'd get rid of all these other niches, but I'll actually create these other niches along the dining room wall where I could display this. Mm. And uh, we discussed that idea as well, and you thought, and then you sent me some links to some very interesting artists. <laughs> well, I'll just explain to the listeners. You can imagine that a sort of little oval kind of niche that, that currently manages Manik. Monique, she's got in her, uh, in her, Monique, she's got in her living room, sort yes. of curved with a kind of decoration-y thing, a little kind of, like a little, and um, and you wanted to get rid of that. And then you realised you could actually have that concept, but in a contemporary way. And I just said, oh, Mondrian. And you said, yeah, what, what, what? Right. And then I thought, when I, I started looking him up, and then I thought, oh, this is going to be O2T for, for Monique. Why am I sending you this stuff? But I still thought he was, you know, he's an interesting concept. And, and yeah. I think he's, he's if you just mention Monique, it's the sort of thing people are talking about now, you know, sort of asymmetric arrangement of rectangles and, and all of that. It's sort of like different sizes and all that sort of stuff. So he's kind mm-hmm. of like a byword for that kind of concept. Yeah. And yeah. you could just work with, because it's quite a thick internal wall, you yeah. were able to work within the timber framing and, and sort of jib around right within the framing space. That's what we call yes. it. And you can create these different shaped rectangles. Yes. Which is neat because then you'll have your quite sort of, I mean, the, the figurines are really, I don't know sure what you call them, but they're really mm. quite a decorative sort of sculptural freeform shape in some places. Yes. So they yes. will be kind of, you'll have these square, rect, these rectangular sharp yes. edges, and you'll have these, yes. it'll really focus the form of these different sculptures, which are quite yes. diverse. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 So that, I was really excited by the idea. And then when you sent me the links to the Montreal thing, I read it and I looked at it and I thought, that sounds really fascinating, but that's exactly the kind of look I was after. Okay. So, that's great. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting process. W- interesting process. And when I think of Mondrian, I think of the beautiful glazed wall, south wall of Te Papa, and that mm. was done by um, a New Zealand artist. But it's that very, it's just playing with rectangles, and, you know, and, and it's just a, you know, it's, it's a very usable and, and mm. sort of relatable kind of floor, uh, basic way of arranging things Mm. shapes and colors and things yeah Mm. yeah so we'll look forward to that that's exciting because that's bringing a little bit of your 
real culture into your kind of more, you're going down a more sort of minimalist interior decor, decor kind of approach. Yes. But you're actually able to then highlight more clearly the parts of the culture that are very, um, you know, real to you. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Mm. That is cool. Mm. Um, yeah. what do, and, and, I mean, I love the part about, because when you said that, you, you know, you spend, your kitchen is very much part of your life, Shankar was telling me that when you were in Paris, Mm. Um, part of the social side of it was that you could just cook for all of these expats that were all around in this particular area of profession that we were involved in. And, and he just said it was so much... He just remembered the times in Paris where you just cooked yeah. for everybody. And they're from all over the world working at OECD. And, yeah. yes. and you've brought that hot... You've done all of that, that big big cooking kind of program, and now you've come yes. back to your very own little personal, very well-purpose-designed uh, kitchen. Exactly. With all of that legacy of that big international kind of cooking experience. Yeah, it was really great because, you know, one of the things in Paris, you'll imagine, is that most people live in really tiny homes with really tiny kitchens. And uh, and that's part of the reason why I think they all eat out so much. And plus, of course, it's got a culture of eating out. And so um, everybody and all social outings and gatherings usually happen outside of the house. You know, they always meet at cafes. Whereas for Shankar and me, it was very, and me being a vegetarian as well, you know, like you'd go out to eat, but invariably on a regular place, you're probably just eating lettuce and, you know, um, cheese or something. And I sort of, um, I really felt that, um, um, and given our history of socializing around food, um, I really wanted the outside in. I wanted everybody to come home. And so one of the things that we did when we rented our apartment in Paris, was it was absolutely non-negotiable, was to get a reasonably largish apartment with a nice kitchen. And I think that that really absolutely enabled us to do that, you know, because we would have people come over. I could, you know, have eight people sitting at the table and um, sharing a meal. And it just completely altered our, our experience because, it wasn't all just external. It was very much about bringing people into your home, into your space, and um, enjoying the food. And it was really, really lovely. Mm, mm. Because travel and working in these places, all those experiences of sharing with others, it's, 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 it's bringing your home even though you're all from different countries? Yes, exactly. It still feels quite warm, intimate. Um, and um, and you know and the nature of the conversations you know mm. are different. Um, Do you think that also, when you sorry? Yeah, no, the go on. When you travel, I think you very very quickly um, you meet somebody for the first time and you're starting to talk about these really important, interesting, momentary things. And then, and then you never see them again. But you do have these very, really strong, important conversations because you're two people in the world and you want to discuss things of the moment. And that's what I find when you travel. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And that's absolutely true. And I think, um, uh, and also given that in the context in Paris, a lot of people that um, Shankar was working with were, you know, a lot of young people who had come from other parts of Europe and they were all trying to, you know, establish themselves. They had, re- they had really tiny little flats. And so we would have this gathering at our house of all these youngsters and um, it was it was really quite a special and unique experience. And they all 
you know, still stay in touch with us and um, and connect with us, you know. And yeah. So it's just, it, it, I think it changed our experience of what could be a very urban, um, uh, you know, um, yeah. fast-paced city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, those young people, I know Shankar said he really benefited from all of their incredible intelligence but they would have super uh, it would have been a great work experience for them you know to be working with other people but but with with in in such a lovely sort of friendly environment yes exactly exactly right Mm. and you and you said that this is another aspect going back to the kitchen that you couldn't absolutely even uh, imagine being in the house while your kitchen was being done so you had to move out is that the one or is that something different so, um, you you had, know, and you discovered you moved and, and shared with other people. Yeah, so we went to, we've got these really good friends of ours who live in Normandale and, um, and just up the hill. And they have just renovated and got done a beautiful studio, but it's like a self contained studio with the connecting steps to the upstairs where they live. And, um, and I mean, they have a very upstairs, downstairs, easy flow, but you could exit from the downstairs if you didn't want to go up to. Um, and so it was quite independent in that sense. And so they invited us to come and use the studio for as long as we wanted. So we just basically moved there. And was that was that while the kitchen was underway, is that right? Yes, that's right. So yeah. the moment the kitchen work started, we were out of here. And it was really interesting because the first, um, and our friends, you know, also very, very social, love food. And so we got into a beautiful arrangement of communal living. We, you know, we would buy the groceries together. We would buy the vegetables together. And we'd take responsibilities for which days of the week we wanted to cook. And somebody commented and said, oh, you mean it's like flatting? And I said, yeah, it's like flatting with money because you're in a different stage in your life now. And so you can afford that cheese. And, you know, yeah, you're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You're not flatting like a student and living off bread and peanut butter, you know. <laughs> and um, it was just so exciting. And I think one of the... It's actually quite transformational for both uh, both of us because we all understood about what we want our retired life to look like. You know that that com- sense of communal cooking, communal sharing, that living together as a collective. I think it really um, cemented our faith that as we retire and as we all get older, that's the kind of life we want to lead. You know, it's um, exciting. And so it was really exciting. And we, um, you know, every now and then somebody flirts with the idea of going off to Nelson or whatever. But immediately what draws us back is the fact that we are, we, we are going to be living and surrounded by these friends of ours who make our life so meaningful and so purposeful. So it was really lovely. And, and what would happen is that our friend John was, he's a keen DIY person and loves and is really interested in everything. And so every night he would ask me, saying, have you been to the house? Have you been to the house? And I was like, why would I go, you know? (laughs) And so he said, um, you know, he was telling me about how he was following the progress um, when they were doing up their house. And so finally, I think on day five, he couldn't bear it anymore. And so he (laughs) said to me, we are going tomorrow morning to go and take a look at what the builder has been able to achieve. And um, I said, yep, that's fine. But then I found out, and so we did come to the house, and we met the builder, and it was really lovely, and uh, the builder talked about all the stuff that he was doing, and our friend John was able to, you know, say yes or no, or do this and do that. And so we were just, like, bystanders in this engagement. Yeah. But also what we found out was that our 
very good friend, you know, the one who helped me through the housing project, the kitchen project, who lives just down the street. So her husband would drive past the house every day and drop by to talk to the builder, talk to the um, kitchen people, almost like as if to signal that this, these people are really special and they are well supported and there's a whole group of people mm. that, you know, that, mm. that, that has embraced them. And we felt like this really, um, I mean, the true sense of a Fano, you know, mm. because otherwise we don't have that extended family here. We realized that this was our extended family. And so the Jane and the John and the Margaret Ann and the Jane, you know, <laughs> the of the world became our uh, little uh, security blanket. Yeah, that's, that's they, a fantastic experience. Yeah, and they were looking out for us, looking out, uh, looking, uh, you know, after us in every way possible. And um, and it was really good. So, mm. yeah, and then we moved back when the, once the kitchen was fully done and, um, yeah, and um, haven't looked back since. A journey around the universe of your kitchen. Yes, exactly. What a lovely title for a book. <laughs> lovely title. <laughs> I don't think anybody would be interested except me, but I just... Oh, well, you know, amazing how it was sort of totally, it was like the little trigger that I, or a little bit of sort of assistance I needed in my mind, even now, you know, but I, that thing about just validating those feelings and saying, it's, yes. you know, you're allowed to, whatever it is, it's going on and it's real. And, and once you feel it, then you start to calm down and your brain starts to yeah. start to sort of settle and find its own kind of solutions in a way or give mm. yeah it's it's a it's and it's a real process i think yeah. if you have been a very you know if you have dedicated yourself to to working well for years mm. um it's it's funny having to sort of turn step back and and re reconfigure some other whole new area of of information i think yeah exactly and that's just not i mean you know i uh, you know, as an aside, you know, like about four years ago, um, I decided to pave the backyard of the house because, you know, it's the bit that doesn't get much sun. And and so, you know, we just thought that we might as well just pave it. And a friend of mine who lives in Blenheim said to me that, you know, she's a landscape artist. And she said, yep, you know, um, why don't I come down and we'll do it together? And I said, are you, you know, do you really think it's possible? And she said, oh, yeah, it's possible. And so she gave me a heaps of instructions on what I should look for and what kind of pavers and everything. She drew up a map, told me the dimensions, and then worked out how many of what size pavers I needed to order. And I did all of that. And then when she came down over five days, we paved our entire backyard together. Wonderful. So that was, you know, so I think that I do better when somebody is mm. walking But don't you benefit me. when you have those joint working, you know, they have those lovely kind of joint projects together I mean yeah rather than doing it we've only got five minutes yes, my dear I and I really I really want to talk about the Karunai Elam Trust um, so what about it yeah well I mean we're talking about the backyard and the pavers and yes. also Shankar and Minakshi are part of the group who um uh, supporters or set up a trust regarding the was this called Jean Watson School or is that something completely yeah, different? No, that's basically, it's called uh, it's called the Karane Ilam Trust, and it was Jean the, Watson's original school, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. It's the one that started it. So she's the founding uh, founding member and founding the founding leader, shall I say? And and related to here here in Waikanae is that 
yourself and Shankar in the group had, uh, with Janet Bailey, director of Mahara Gallery, an exhibition here, and you all came out, and Guru yeah. gave the this, gave the sort of introduction to this exhibition of the yeah. of the beautiful photos of the children's paintings. But That's then you've right. been doing some more work at the school, apparently, and you and you there's a whole yeah. So we now have um, so at the time that we did the photographic exhibition at Mahara Gallery, um, we had we were doing it as a fundraiser as well for the boys' hostel because we've got a we've got a girls' hostel and we needed to update the boys' hostel. And then, um, so we wanted to do fundraising for it, and um, we did, and we managed to, we now have a newly built boys' hostel. Uh, we also have built a kind of a skills and training center where local youths can learn about, you know, skills like cell phone repairs and fixing appliances or woodwork. And we've got a cow shed. Yeah. And we've got four cows. Yeah, and uh, and the and the only bit that we haven't changed is there is a cottage which is called Jean's Cottage, which is the cottage where Jean used to go and live uh, for all those years that she used to go back to the Elam. and so we have retained that cottage in its um, in its original form. So we haven't done anything with it, but it's still there, and visitors who go to the Elam can stay there um, if they want to. And yeah, so it's um, it essentially. Um, supports the educational needs of 55 boys and girls and these are not orphans they are people from children are from underprivileged backgrounds so they come from very difficult um, home environments where there is um, uh, either they're living with their grandparents or a, par- a parent is an alcoholic or so it's these children and we provide educational opportunities so they stay at the home illum is the Tamil word for home uh-huh. So they stay at this home, and um, they attend local schools. And, um, and oh, I see. So they they are, it's, a, it's a hostel, but they go to local schools. They interact yes, with they the community. Go to, yeah, so they interact with the locals. So we send them to the local um, government-funded schools, and um, they. Uh, but we we support them through extracurricular activities. We look after their overall health. Um, we pay for all of their educational support, and. Um, yeah, and they have excellent, uh, and they contribute as well, and um, they um, look after the animals. Um, they ha- they are all some that are interested learning to milk, mm-hmm. and they help with the garden. And so it's a very very environmentally friendly, eco friendly kind of place um, where these children grow and thrive. And they are there between from the age of ten to eighteen when they finish mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so the Mahara Gallery was one event that we ran, I think, about almost four years ago now. Yeah. The other one that's um, still, uh, you know, we have just put, we have submitted an application, but, you know, all the strong signals are that we might, um, it might get approved. And this is at the, we've applied to the Thistle Hall uh, for a exhibition by the Art Collective in Lower Hutt, which is, uh, Shankar is a member. Yes. And, um yeah, and we are really exploring this whole world of um, a collaborative project with the children about intangible cultural heritage, you know, because in India, for example, we have this um, art of, I think, like the mandala in the Tibetan culture. Yeah. We've got yeah. the South Indian tradition of uh, design. It's called kolam, which is basically using rice flour to do these decorative pieces outside in the outside your house as a welcoming sign Beautiful. for people to come into your house. So it's a kind of a welcome thing. You made, know? With, made with like a flower. 
made with rice flour. Yeah. So it's powder, and you yeah. can either color it, and then they use the they use the powder to make a design, and the design can be whatever you'd like. It can have rectangles with flowers. I'll send you some pictures. And are, is, are they are they are they going to be a photographic exhibition of this work? Well, so what we are thinking is that we are going to have um uh, we are going to have the material produced by these children. And then um, Margaret Ann, who's the artist here, is going to see how she could build the, those images into either woodcuts or um, some prints and so on. So yeah. she's exploring how she could turn that what is technically impermanent art and make it permanent. Yeah, yeah, because it, it moves, it changes, yes. And so she's, it, yes. Yeah. And it's a temporary a ephemeral kind of art which makes it really beautiful. Todd yeah. here is giving me, I think I've got a minute, Todd. Yes, that's fine. Um, yeah. And so that'll be going, happening. You wouldn't have been able to go, I suppose you used to go back to South India to the school every on a regular basis. Yes, we, go, we used to go every year. But, but you haven't been able to. We haven't, but we are going in July. Oh, you're going in July, yeah. Yeah, we've just booked tickets to go in July. Yeah, right. Yeah. And this exhibition will be at the Thistle Hall in July. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. hopefully. We'll yeah. know. We can, I can always give you the information and you can always update your listeners. Okay. Um, uh, once we know, and then we can give you the dates for the exhibition. And it's really quite fascinating. Sounds wonderful. I remember mm. Guru at his opening of your exhibition, I've never heard him speak quite so genuinely and moving because it reminded him of his days back there as a young, young lad. Um, yes. That was amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much, Minakshi. Um, it's a wonderful start to the year. Next next week, next month, we're talking at a gr great big opposite scale. We're talking about retail development. So I'm really happy to start with this very kind of at home kind of scale of design thinking. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Roz, and have a great day. Thank you, Manakshi. Bye. Bye. Well, I've just been speaking with Manakshi, Sh Manakshi Shankar. Um, who's been living in New Zealand for 20 years, working in um, all sorts of government consultant roles. And uh, we were talking about her beautiful world of her brand-new kitchen down there in Avalon. Um, thank you, Manakshi. Uh, and uh, next month will be the opposite end of the scale, and we'll be going a lot more global into kind of retail development and that sort of thing. So a big leap um, in terms of how we look at built work. Uh, here we are, local architecture now for February 2022. Time to get up that quick big healer of hope for a destination. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.